The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by Harry's. Go to harrys.com and get your free shave kit today. Make sure to use the promo code OVERWHELMED during checkout and you get their awesome post-shave balm too. Are you annoyed by affirmations? How about when someone comes up to you and says, Think positively! So what if your candidate didn't win the election? All you have to do is use the power of thinking positively so that they will make choices based on your values and beliefs. That's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people said that we'd never fix the homeless problem either, but now there are no more homeless people and everyone is happy. Are you living on the same planet as the rest of us? <laughs> Why can't you just think positively? Life is so much easier when you don't confront problems. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like a straight path to denial, then get ready to start creating the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and your host of this show called The Overwhelmed Brain. And this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason for all you analytical thinkers out there. <laughs> this will help you discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show is not to be interpreted as actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you will find on this show is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. And the first thing I want to get to, just real quick, if you live in the U.S. and you were part of the reality show called The Presidential Election, <laughs> congratulations, we made it through it. I don't know who you voted for or if you're happy with how it turned out, but let's see where it goes. If you don't like who ended up as commander-in-chief, then maybe there's a silver lining in there somewhere. Let's, let's see what happens. And if you do like him, talking about Donald Trump, <laughs> well then congratulations, and still, let's see where it goes. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. This is quite a different person that we've had running the country, so... Let's see what happens. Let's keep our thinking positively smile on and see what happens. It could be one of the greatest things ever, and it could be the continuation of a reality TV show that we were all a part of, or a lot of us were a part of, uh, when we were watching the debates and reading the news. So I just wanted to say, you know, we made it. We made it through this part. Let's see if we can make it through the next four years. Anyway, that's as political as I get. <laughs> Let's talk about an email that I got regarding uh, someone who says they're in a constant battle with their emotions in their mind. He says that he's done a lot of personal growth, but when he gets triggered, uh, he doesn't react or maybe overreact, but he's in a constant battle in his mind. He's debating whether or not uh, certain things in his life are acceptable as a boundary, like a personal boundary or if it's being selfish. And I've had this question before in one of my uh, group coaching calls in the patron program. One of the attendees said that she didn't even know what personal boundaries were until she started listening to me. So let me just define what they are to me. A personal boundary is what is acceptable to you and what is not. Period. <laughs> so if somebody comes along, let's just put an example out there. You're not a smoker and they light up a cigarette next to you, uh, that might not be acceptable to you. 
you might breathe in the smoke and go, <laughs> I don't like that. That's not acceptable to me. That's a personal boundary being violated. That's kind of a minor example. That would be like, that's not acceptable to me. And I'm either going to say something like, can you move over there? Or I'm going to move, remove myself from the situation. That's honoring a boundary. Another example could be, and I use this on the show sometimes, you're at your work or at a job and the supervisor comes out or your boss comes out and starts yelling at you in front of the other, you know, in front of your coworkers. And suddenly you feel, you know, embarrassed. <laughs> he or she is embarrassing you. They're putting you on the spot. They're making you feel like a fool. And all these feelings are coming up for you. And if you really check in inside, for me, when I do this, I go, whoa, that's not acceptable. And then I'll ask myself the question, why isn't that acceptable? The obvious answer is because no one should yell at you like that, especially in front of other people. But, you know, I want to check in inside and find out really at a deeper level why it's not acceptable to me. And what I'll come up with is because I deserve respect. I am worthy of respect. So therefore, I find that behavior unacceptable. And so that is a personal boundary. I choose not to accept that kind of behavior in my life. And at this point, I can walk away. I can stand there and take it and wait for it to end and then have this battle in my mind like uh, this person who wrote the email. I can say something to my boss and say, can we please talk about this in your office? Or I might even say, well, I probably would say something <laughs> a little bit more assertive in the sense of you need to back down and talk to me like an adult. <laughs> I might say something like that. If I really cared about the person and this was just like a one-time event, I might say, hey, 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 let's talk about this, this in your office. Let's go back and you know figure this out. And then we would and everything would calm down, hopefully. But if the person was purposely trying to humiliate me or, or embarrass me, then I would honor my boundary and probably do something about it or just say, I'm out of here. See you later. Good luck finding a replacement. So that's it in a nutshell. When, when you have boundaries, those are what you will accept and you won't accept in your life. And then honoring that boundary is putting, a, I don't know, a safety barrier between you and who's violating it or what is violating it. So my safety barrier is, whoa, you need to back down, <laughs> back off, and talk to me like a normal person. That may not work. They may yell louder. They may do something else. They may blow smoke in your face if it's a smoker. And it could work the opposite. You could be a smoker and a non-smoker comes out and they're not smoking. <laughs> and that violates your personal boundary. I don't see that happening, but let's just say it does. I'm, I'm equal across the board here. But you get the idea. Personal boundaries are what you define that you want or don't want in your life. So this uh, letter writer says that uh, he's in a constant battle because he's not sure if he's just being selfish because he's debating in his, in his mind, is this just me being selfish or am I really honoring a boundary here? Well, here's where I'm going with this. When you honor yourself in any way, if you haven't tested the limits of your boundaries or the limits of what you're honoring, you might be in this space of uh, overanalyzation of what's going on. You're always thinking, always thinking, is this right? Is this right? Is this acceptable? Is this acceptable? And that overanalyzation is because you're not sure of your limits and you're not sure of all your boundaries and what really is acceptable because maybe you haven't tested the waters. And what I mean by that is uh, the example I use sometimes is when I was sitting with my two bosses and they were talking about another, uh, co my coworker, and um, I didn't like what they were saying about him. I suddenly felt that what they were doing, talking behind his back and uh, making plans about his future there was wrong. In myself, I felt like that guy should be here to talk and defend himself. And so I had an opportunity to speak up because in myself, I felt it was wrong. It was unacceptable. It wasn't necessarily a personal boundary. It might have been more of a, a personal value, just something I felt that was out of integrity with myself if I didn't say something about it. So I chose to say something about it. And what I did was test the waters. I tested what would happen if I said something about it because I'd never experienced it before. I never spoke up like that to them before. 
So I decided to see what would happen. Because yes, it could have been a, a huge mess. It could have been a failure. But I did it anyway. And what happened is I found out the limit that I could honor myself. You know, stay in alignment with my integrity. And when I found out that limit, I could push it even further next time. And I could also understand myself better by the feedback I got when I tested myself in that moment. Let me give you a better example than that. When I was in my marriage and my wife and I would talk about something that uh, upset me or triggered me, I often chose to go quiet and give her the silent treatment, which, by the way, is an emotional manipulation. For those of you that do it, the silent treatment, um, listen to an episode I did uh, a few episodes back on the silent treatment and you'll understand why I said that, but uh, I used to do that. I used to give her the silent treatment and not express my feelings because inside my mind, uh, there was a battle. Should I say something? Should I, you know, is this me honoring myself if I'm silent? Is it me protecting myself? Am I uh, in a place where if I said something, I might be vulnerable, then hurt? And all this stuff would go through my mind. I was overanalyzing it instead of just testing what would happen if I said something. And had I tested what would happen if I said something, meaning if I said something, then I would find out what happens when I say something. But we often go into, I'm going to make up a story of what will happen so I don't have to do anything or do this particular thing. And this battle that goes on in our mind is almost a way of staying in indecision, uh, staying in procrastination, so that you don't have to test the waters, so that you don't have to find out what happens when you do it. It's almost self-deception. I'm not saying it's all the time like that, but if you start treating it like that, like this overanalyzation of what I'm going to say or do next is self-deception so that I don't have to do it because it's usually motivated by fear. Like, I don't want to do it because I'm afraid of what might happen. So I'm not going to do it because, and then you'll have the battle in your mind. Because uh, if I do it, then it'll cause a problem in my relationship. And then she might come back and say this about me. And then I'll get mad and then I'll storm out of the house and I'll take off in the car. But if I don't do it, then, you know, <laughs> on and on and on and on. And you keep yourself from forward momentum. And these moments are the ones that I say, make the decision, step forward, do or say the thing, and then find out what the consequences are. We live in fear of the consequences a lot of life. We are afraid to say or do what's on our mind, even if it's wrong, and I'm using quotes, wrong, because it's not really wrong, it's what comes up for you. Like, I find what you just said unacceptable. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say that you could, but that's what happens in your mind. I find that unacceptable. What do I want to do about this? What do I want to say about this? Well, the first question that I want to put in your mind is, what would I do if I was completely fearless? What would I do if I was not afraid of any consequence? And that's usually the right answer. What we typically do after we get that answer is not do it, <laughs> or a lot of us will be afraid to do it or say it. Sort of like when my alcoholic stepfather showed up at my mom's house and I was there and I answered the door and he wasn't allowed in and he asked to come in. I had that moment of, what's the right thing to do here? And the right thing to do is, of course, don't let him in. That's an easy answer. But following through with that easy answer, <laughs> it wasn't easy. And so I could have sat there overanalyzing it and going, well, if I let him in, uh, she might get mad at me, or she might be afraid, or he might hurt her. Uh, if I don't let him in, then he might hurt me. And this is over, over analyzing that helps you procrastinate and delay and not do what you fear. Because you jump to fear. You, well, we tend to. We tend to jump to fear when we're in that state of decision, that moment. What comes up for you? What's the right thing to do? I know the right thing to do, but don't start with the buts. <laughs> no, the right thing to do is this. Now, what you want to do from here, just accept it. I mean, in the sense of, let's just say that I opened the door and my stepfather was there and I knew the right answer was to not let him in. 
but I was too afraid of the consequences of doing that. So I would have to come to a decision in my mind and just follow through. Even if I was wrong, even if I was scared, I could go, well, I'm too scared to confront this now. I'm going to let him in, even though I know it's not the right thing to do. At least I'm making a decision, moving forward, getting out of that overanalyzing mode, and then I'll deal with the next consequence after that. I don't recommend you do that, uh, but there are some times where you have to give in if you're with a violent person and you know that you're in danger, you probably might make different decisions even though the right one is something else. Meaning the right one might be something that honors them over you because the fear is real. A lot of the times these fears aren't real. When I said, no, you can't come in to my stepfather, I really thought I was going to get punched in the face, (laughs) but it didn't happen. So my story didn't come true. It could have, but it didn't. And every time I've tested this theory that what I fear will come true, let me test it, it doesn't. I don't get fired. The person that I'm living with or in love with doesn't stop loving me and doesn't leave me. Uh, The person I think is going to hurt me doesn't. I mean, physically. And, you know, all these other things that I've tried. I'm like, oh, so what I'm doing is carrying around all these false fears, these perceptions of the world that I think are true, which prevents me from just making a damn decision, (laughs) just taking action or saying what I want to say. So the short of this uh, to the letter writer of going into that overanalyzation mode is asking yourself the question, what's the right thing to do? Asking yourself the other question, is this acceptable to me? And if it isn't, even if you feel selfish about it, follow through, honor yourself. Because what's going to happen is that you're going to experience the swing of the emotional pendulum. The emotional pendulum is basically testing. Like, you know how it's over on one side uh, in your life and you're always holding it so it doesn't go to the other side? If it goes to the other side, someone might get mad. Someone might yell at me. Someone might fire me. Someone might leave me. So let's not let it go to that side. The idea is to let it go to that side. And if you feel selfish in honoring your needs, then uh, find out what happens when you honor your needs. Let the pendulum swing all the way to the other side. You might have to over-honor your needs. You might have to be adamant about your needs just to find out how people respond, how you react, and how you think afterward. Because what happened to me is I pushed the pendulum all the way to the other side and honored my needs fully in scary situations. And then when I found out their reactions, I didn't have to push the pendulum so far the next time because I already knew the outcome. You learn the outcomes as you go, as you test, and as you push the emotional pendulum all the way to the other side. You learn what happens so that next time the pendulum doesn't have to swing so far, meaning you don't have to be so adamant about honoring your boundaries. Uh, You can be less adamant because you know you can do it. I mean, I think we turn on the adamant part of us, the assertive part of us, because we fear there might be some sort of repercussion when we do this. But the more you do this, the less, I don't know, not assertive, but adamant, bold, the less bold you have to be. You're just confident and you just honor yourself. And it's not a matter of speaking up or yelling or doing doing anything like that. It's a matter of saying, no, that's not acceptable to me. And then just moving on. It gets to that point. That's when the pendulum swings uh, back and forth until it settles in the middle where you have an emotional balance. And you can take that emotional balance with you You can carry it with you. And then all this uh, internal dialogue stops. All this self-talk of, oh, is this right? Is this right? Is this wrong? Am I being too selfish? Am I I not being selfish enough? Is this about more about um, honoring myself and self-compassion? Or, I mean, all this stuff doesn't matter. I mean, it does. But in, in the moment, it doesn't matter. The moment is, is this right for me? Is this acceptable to me? If it isn't, then I'm going to take a step forward. If I don't know, I'm still going to take a step forward. I'm still going to make a decision and find out what happens. You have to use your best judgment. You have to pick your battles wisely because you don't want to be in a real danger. But don't put perceived danger out there. 
and start with small things. Hey, you want tacos tonight? Well, if you're making them, I'll eat them. Well, if that's not how you really feel, (laughs) if you don't want tacos, say, hmm, no, I'm not in the mood for tacos. Can we do spaghetti instead? I mean, you may already do that. (laughs) But the idea is to start honoring yourself, start honoring what you want, so you know what your boundaries are. So you can test those boundaries. You test the limits of your boundaries. And then when you get to the extreme limit of testing that boundary, then you can bring it back uh, center and feel balanced about your decisions. And then the the overanalyzing uh, slows down and stops. Because now you're telling your subconscious mind, I know how to make decisions and I'm going to step into these decisions whether I'm right or wrong and I'm going to be wrong sometimes and I'm going to be right sometimes and I'm going to learn as I go and the pendulum will swing and bring me to balance soon so that I don't even have to worry about wrong or right. I just know. But you'll never know if you overanalyze, if you think to yourself constantly. I know sometimes it's hard to turn off, but thinking can stop when you take action. It's like bungee jumping. (laughs) I've never done this and I probably won't, but there are people you'll probably find videos online that are looking over the edge of the cliff or the bridge and have all these bungee cords tied to them thinking, God, should I go? Should I not? What if the bungee breaks? I don't know what I'm going to do. And all this thinking and the fear is building. I mean, thinking can build the momentum of fear. And should I jump? Should I jump? What do you think? I'm afraid I, I can't do this. And then there's all this thinking, but action stops the thinking, making the decision Jumping stops the thinking. All right, here I go. Boom. I've stopped thinking. Now, hopefully the bungees are safe and (laughs) there's water below you just in case. But action stopped the thinking. And here's my disclaimer. Never jump without bungees. (laughs) I'm just saying, don't jump without bungees. But I think you understand that. Take action to stop the thinking, to stop the analyzation. Then that may be hard. Because it's a bold step, especially if you've never taken that kind of bold step. So I hope this helps. Thank you so much for writing. Oh, I didn't call you any name. How about uh, Roger? Thanks, Roger. (laughs) And stick around because we're going to go into our next segment called Ask Paul right after this. The sponsor of today's episode I just have to share really changed the game for me. I was solely an electric razor guy before trying Harry's. And one of the things I noticed with my electric is that I always had hair left over on my face. Different parts of my face and neck would have these small hairs. And I'd be like, come on. I went over that spot like 10 times. But since I started shaving with Harry's razors, those spots simply don't exist any longer. I can look in the mirror and clearly see that I got it all. So I really thought I was saving time with my electric, but because I had to redo some areas, usually because my girlfriend pointed out the spots I missed, (laughs) I was actually wasting more time than I thought. I got into Harry's razors and no longer have to worry about missing spots because, well, their sole function is to remove hair. I think my electric had an ulterior motive or something because it sure seemed to be doing something other than what should have been its sole function. And now that I'm into Harry's razors, I've got a smooth and not to mention good smelling face. (laughs) Their post-shave balm smells so good and my girlfriend agrees. In fact, I think I'll get a set of Harry's for her too. Yes, it's not just for men. A razor's a razor, right? So what I want you to do is go to harrys.com and get your free trial kit And make sure to use the promo code OVERWHELMED to get your free post-shave balm. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com for a five-blade razor experience like no other. You'll immediately notice a soft flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for those harder-to-reach places, a lubricating strip, all for just $2 a blade. Compare that to the $4 or more that you'll pay for any other razor at a drugstore, or even the crazy amount I paid for my electric razor. Plus, Harry's will keep sending you new blades on the shave plan that you choose. It's very convenient, and you never have to worry about remembering to pick up razors again. They just show up at your door. 
German engineering at a high-quality assembly will offer you an experience like no other. Get the free shave bomb with your free trial kit. Just pay $3 shipping at harrys.com. And use the promo code OVERWHELMED when checking out. Find out why I dig their razors. They just work great, and they make it easy. Visit them today. All right, welcome back. This is Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to answer their challenge. And if you've been listening a while, you probably realize that I sometimes read listener emails outside the Ask Paul segment. (laughs) But I got to keep some uniformity to this show. So let's go forward and read today's letter. Dear Paul, I've been listening to your podcast for about two months now, and they truly speak to me in a way that I can only help to be reminded of one person. My mother. (laughs) I emphasize that. Uh, You you see, growing up with four other siblings, life was very tough. When I was young, my mother divorced my father. He was an abusive alcoholic, although he never abused us children. He hurt my mother and our dog. He would yell and scream and throw things. And now as an adult, I see how bad that relationship really was. When I was younger, I was mad that my mother broke our family apart. But now that I'm approaching 40, I understand that is absolutely what needed to take place. Right before I was a teenager, my mother remarried. She was happy for once. But that came with a price. Because this new husband abused her three children, both mentally and physically. I have since forgiven him, mainly because he has truly apologized for what he has done and has never said anything hurtful since that apology. On the other hand, I feel like I hold all of this anger towards her for letting us be abused. She has never taken blame or apologized that she didn't protect us. As a mother, I will protect my children always, and they will always know how much I love them. You see, even as an adult, I have never felt loved by my mother. I try to move forward every day in life and be positive, but it is so hard when the one woman that is to love you unconditionally often breaks you down. Listening to your podcast, I have learned how manipulating she is. She is so very hurtful with her words, but somehow always turns it around on one of us kids. She says, we are disrespecting her, and we're also unappreciative that she gave birth to us. Or she throws up one of our struggles and says, she's helped us out, and this is how she gets repaid? You see, I've learned that she does not respect us as adults. She still views us as her children, who have to listen to her, or else she flips out. It's like a switch flips, and she yells and screams, or cries and even gets physical. A complete 180 from who she, who she normally is. Then she tries to go to the other siblings and get validation for her becoming irate. It's like she needs to know that she's not wrong and whoever she's fighting with that day is wrong. I am usually her go-to person for this. And although I have learned not to give advice and just listen, I'm realizing that by doing this, I'm still giving her empowerment. I am still validating her feeling right when clearly she is wrong. I have witnessed it firsthand. I guess I learned to do this as a coping mechanism. If I keep her happy, she can't do this to me. So long story short, recently she got into an argument with my youngest brother. He let the rest of us know because he knew she would call us looking for validation of her behavior. Sure enough, she did. This time I told her, I don't want to hear it and I don't want any part of it. She didn't like that I would not listen to her put my sibling down. So she went off on me and now isn't talking to me. Now, three days later, and it's been a while since this letter came to me, so it's been many days later, I can't help but feel like I've done something wrong. I know this is her trying to control the situation, and eventually she'll want to talk about it. But if I stand my ground, she will get irate, screaming and yelling and even hitting, sometimes throwing objects. I get this feeling of pure fear inside any time I have to stand my ground with her. I tell myself I have to learn to love her personality if I want a mother at all. Today I woke up feeling a pit in my stomach, but I'm ready to learn how to set my boundaries and I'm ready to keep her out of my life if that's what it has to come down to. I just have no idea where where to start. I have tried and failed many times. I'm almost 40 and this still affects me. I'm not sure if she suffers from narcissistic personality disorder or not or something else, but the more I read and listen, it is very clear that there's something going on that I am unable to understand and I need advice. She's never concerned with what goes on with her children. She always compares her issues and makes it out that they are worse than ours, 
And she just has a way of making you feel bad about yourself. And yet some people think she's amazing. They never see the side of her that we see. Another thing that gets to me is she never praises me for any of my accomplishments, especially if one of my children does something really great, as they regularly do. She takes credit and says, they get that from me, and it bothers me to no end. She is not active in my kids' lives at all, and yet she makes it out on social media that she is grandmother of the year. Why does this bother me so much? Well, I feel like I've rambled on and on. (laughs) And believe me, I could go on, she says. I just want to know how to move forward and take a stand to this behavior. Need your advice. I'll call you uh, Sonia. Okay, Sonia, uh, thanks for sharing that, and um, congratulations for getting out of uh, your childhood. (laughs) And I mean that with all due respect and love for you, because that's tough. It's tough. Do you have been in an abusive relationship like that with your, I guess your stepfather abused you and um, having your mom be that way? This is what I often see in a lot of abusive relationships, or at least previously abusive relationships, is that the abused person, when they grow up, often blame another person that's not abusing them. And that's usually because they weren't protected by that person. And I I often see this with a father who uh, either physically or even sexually abuses children, is that the mom that either knows about it or suspects it or is in denial and doesn't want to face it, the mom doesn't do anything about it. And the children grow up resenting and being angry with their mom. Like, mom, you knew. Why didn't you do anything about it? You knew he was hurting us. I see this over and over again. And let me ask you one question regarding this because this is very common. And I want um, everyone listening to hear this in case they're mad at their mom. Let me ask you, put yourself in her shoes first of all. If you were in her shoes, why wouldn't you protect your children? I want you to think about that because uh, most people are going to answer this. There's nothing I wouldn't do ever for my children. I would absolutely protect them. I uh, I would give my life for them. A lot of people would say that. Maybe most. Most people would say that. Some won't, you know, some aren't there. But let's just say that you had to figure out why in the world your mom wouldn't or couldn't protect you or step up and do something. Think about this. Why wouldn't you do it? If you're the mom, why wouldn't you do it? The only reason I can think of, because my mom loves us kids. What are there? Four or five? many of us. (laughs) My mom loves us kids and I can see her doing anything for us. So the only reason I can see her not doing something for us is that she was scared as hell. And I think that's the bottom line. She was so scared. Now, if you think, well, she should give her life for her kids. If she's scared, then she should just take the beating for us, which could happen. And That's an unpleasant thought. I wouldn't want my mom to take a beating. But if she was that scared that she didn't do anything, think about the reason that she wouldn't do anything. Because she was abused herself. I mean, this is where I'm going with this. She was abused. If she's in that relationship and she's being abused, and he is also abusing the kids, and she plays a different role in that dynamic, What if her role was by not interfering or protecting or stopping the person from hurting you was that if she did, he wouldn't kill you or he wouldn't kill her because if she's gone, and I'm I'm sorry to be so blunt about this, but if she's dead, if he beat her to death and she's gone, then all you'd have was him. I'm just reframing this for you to give you an idea of maybe the torture that she went through too. I'm not making excuses for her. I mean, you know, I think about me being in her shoes, being so scared that you just don't know what to do. If I do something, he'll hurt my children. If I do something, he'll hurt me. If I don't do something, 
he's hurting my children, but at least they're alive. I mean, these are all thoughts that could certainly go through her head. Now, that's part one of my answer. Yes, it is absolutely probable that she was so damn scared that she just couldn't do anything. And some people, when they go fight or flight, they also freeze. They just can't do anything. And so another thought might be, well, why didn't she take us away? Why didn't she pack up and leave one night while he was sleeping or drunk? Why didn't she take us kids and go away? You know, when I was young, I'm talking like three and my two older sisters and me. That's all, that's all the family was at that time. My mom told me this story. She goes, I drove down to Florida. I think she said to get away from my father. It might have been. Uh, but she was single at the time. It might have been my stepfather. I'm not sure. And she drove down to Florida. And um, while she was there, I mean, she she had like no money. And her car broke down. And she had no money to fix it. Oh, this kind of reminds me of my story. When my car broke down in the desert. <laughs> it's like repeating. I'm repeating my mom's life. Except I didn't have any kids. But she had three kids. <laughs> she might have had a dog. I don't remember. The stuff we packed. We had all that. And we had to get back to probably Massachusetts. We had to get back to Massachusetts somehow. Because we had nowhere to go. And she's telling me the story. And I'm going, wow. What did you do? And she somehow ended up on a bus. And all three of us, and and apparently I was crying the whole time and people were getting angry with her on the bus because I was crying and crying. (laughs) Sorry, mom. But she had it hard and she had nothing and she had to take care of us kids. So when she came back and got back with, I think it was my stepfather, got back with my stepfather, guess what? She had something. She had a house. She could put us in a bedroom at night. She went all the way down to Florida to get away and couldn't make it any farther. She was trying to leave and she couldn't. So she went back to him and we were at least sheltered and fed and abused. So do I like that scenario? Do I wish that we were instead homeless or on the street so we weren't abused? You know, there's all kinds of answers here. Well, yes, because the abuse was awful and it happened every night or, you know, it wasn't for me, but that could be your story. And it could be that story. But what do you do? I mean, sometimes you're in a situation where you don't know what to do. You don't know how to stay alive. You don't know how to keep your kids alive. And some people just don't realize it can be hard as hell. It really can. So if there's any new perspective that I can put on this, it's that. It's that sometimes the people that love us do things that seem to go against us, that seem to be neglectful or abusive. And all they're doing is the best they can to survive and help us survive. Now, that may not be your mom. I mean, maybe she doesn't like kids and doesn't like you. You know, I'm making stuff up. Maybe she's just a different person. From what you described, though, she still wants kids in her life and uh, she still wants to be near your kids. And she also wants to feel somewhat special and significant. Because imagine a woman who's been abused uh, in her childhood, in her relationships, who's never felt important or worthy, who's never felt special and has always gotten beaten or beaten down, or emotionally abused, or something. Just imagine that. So when she says, oh, your kid got that from me, I wonder if that makes her feel good about herself. I wonder if that's one of the few things that does make her feel good. I don't know. I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is a perspective. I'm saying that when you look at what your parents did, and you look at what your parents did wrong, and you wonder who's to blame and where you got your dysfunction and how you got to be so hateful of one or both of them or angry at one or both of them, you got to know they were hurt. They were injured, emotionally wounded, because they're not born evil. 
They're not born with an agenda to hurt children, to bring them into the world and hurt them. They learn these things. And often you'll find abusers were abused. Often you'll find people who um, sexually violate were sexually violated themselves. People who were emotionally abused with narcissistic parents or psychopathic parents or whatever, they typically will carry that on. So do we blame the person that has to carry that on? And I mean, that's not a yes or no answer because they're still responsible. They're still adults. They still have to learn that it's uh, bad behavior when they do bad behavior. But do we actually blame them for being raised by those who abuse them as well? Again, it's not a yes or no answer. It's a perspective. It's how to frame something to look at it through different lenses to understand where they may be coming from. So there's that. Now, the second part is how do I deal with it? (laughs) Because really, that's what you have to do. You have to deal with it. So my first question to you regarding that is if your mom was uh, any other adult that wasn't related to you, how would you deal with it then, first of all? How would you deal with it? Would you just say, well, Look, I can't take this behavior. If you want to act normal, then you can call me. Otherwise, stay out of my life. I mean, would that be what you would do? It might be something I would do. Um, I would also have some compassion because after what I just said, it's it's a place where I look at her life and go, wow, you know, she's had it tough. I'll give her those moments of feeling special. If she wants to take credit for, you know, my kids' accomplishments, that's fine. You know, that's how I would do it. But if she was abusing me, then I'd be like, look, I love you and I don't want to be abused. So if you're ready to stop abusing me, then I'm willing to give us a chance. But if this is where you want to go with it, then I have to keep you out of my life. And then you say, you know, she's my only mom. I want something of a mom. If I can just have some sort of relationship. Well, what's your definition of mom? My definition of mom is like you said, unconditional love, caring and supporting me and wanting me to be happy and, you know, maybe other things too. I mean, when she looks at me, I can do, I can do no wrong. That's unconditional love, right? You can do no wrong. But if I can't get that from her, then she can't be mom, which means I have to mother myself. As odd as that sounds, this is self-nurturing. This is self-compassion. When you can't get it from other people, You either find someone you can get it from, friends, other family, aunts and even uncles, (laughs) grandparents who can take this parental role. And if you can't find them, then it has to go internal. It has to be like what I talk about, visiting yourself as a child as who you are now and mothering yourself and loving yourself and nurturing yourself and supporting yourself and noting your accomplishments and saying, way to go. Great job. I'm very proud of you. You might have to do that in yourself. And it's typically something we don't want to do because we want our mom. We want our dad. We want someone to come along and take care of us or at least smile and say, I'm proud of you. And sometimes they're not capable of doing it. Where did they learn pride? When were they told that someone was proud of them? I don't think it happens often, especially with uh, parents that have been through abuse and neglect and then they carry that on and do it to their kids. It's like you can't be compassionate to someone when you've not felt compassion yourself, especially when you haven't been compassionate to yourself. You know, how often does she beat herself up? I don't know. Hopefully not physically, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I'm so stupid or I'm such a bad parent. You know, I don't know if that happens. Maybe she is narcissistic. Maybe she thinks she's the greatest parent in the world. And if that's the case, does it make her feel good? I mean, if you're really supporting someone's happiness, would you not want her to feel good? And that's just a rhetorical question. (laughs) I'm not saying support her narcissism. I'm just saying, uh, what's the difference? You know, if you can nurture yourself, And get to this point where, you know what? I know my mom's incapable of loving me. How about coming to an acceptance of that? I know she's incapable of loving me. That's hard. 
but it may be true. And if that's the case, then is she currently abusing me? And if she is, then I got to keep her away. Or is she using the other kids against me? Then I should say something like, look, I love you. And this is how I approach things. Always come from a place of love. I love you and I won't be part of this. If you want to talk about anything else, I would be happy to entertain that. But if you want me to go against my own brothers and sisters who I love, I won't. Because this is how I would treat any adult. This is what I was asking you earlier. If she wasn't your mom, how would you treat her? I would treat her like another adult, saying, whoa, back off. I'm not going to go against my own brothers and sisters. I love them as much as I love you. And I love you as much as I love them. So I wouldn't turn against you just like I wouldn't turn against them. So I'm not going to play that game. Now, if you want to talk about other things, great. But if you're going to go in that direction, I'm going to hang up. It's tough love. It really is. Because you don't want to say these things to your mom. But you're not a child. So if she's not going to be your mom when you're 40, then you have to treat her like another adult. Like a friend, maybe. A dysfunctional friend, if even. Okay, mom, if you want to talk about something else, great. If you want to talk about this, I'm not going to play that game. You have your reasons, but know, and again, always come from love, know that I love you. I love you very much. And I want to have a great relationship with you, but not if we talk about this. That doesn't help me. That doesn't help me. It doesn't help you. It only divides us. I mean, look at what we've been through in this country, in the U.S. Talk about people getting divided. I see families splitting up on Facebook because they elected someone else. So it's important to get above that and see a bigger vision for your family. Do you want a mom? Do you want to keep a mom? Then you have to love her from a bigger place. And also, if she's not acting like the supportive, unconditional, loving mom that you want, you just have to treat her like another adult in your life that's not following the protocol, (laughs) not following the etiquette of friendship. Because she's certainly having trouble following the etiquette of motherhood. If she can't be a mom, then she can be a friend. If she can't be a friend, then... That's the next step. I hope this helps. I know there's a lot to your letter and probably some things I didn't answer, but um, I hope this helps you get through uh, this tough time with her and maybe develop a new type of relationship. Just come from love and honor yourself at the same time. Thanks again for writing, Sonia. We'll be right back. All right, I want to tell you about the TOB patron program. Don't worry, this is only going to take like 15 seconds. If you want private episodes and worksheets and other things that I'm working on that you won't see or hear on this main show, then go over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and join the patron program. It's a way to get things that you'll never hear on this show, like private episodes, and things that you'll never see, like private worksheets, and other things going on over there. So go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com Give back and you'll get back. Join the program today. All right, for the last few minutes of the show, I want to talk about something that uh, keeps coming up, kind of hits my radar every now and then, and that is this fear or anxiety about our partner's past, whether it's their amazing sexual history (laughs) or their abusive history or something else that is just to you wild over the top and nothing that you would ever do you know what i mean if you're the type of person that obsesses about your partner's past in any way you know what i'm talking about when i got married i was completely obsessed with my partner's past why because she had a better sex life than me. (laughs) Well, I say better. That's my own judgment. But that's what my thought was. I was like, I'll never be able to compete with that. How come she's had all that and I didn't? And I've only had just a few partners in my life and she's had many. And it, it plagued me. It was just awful for a while. 
because I thought about all that stuff she was doing. And it really bothered me. So I had to come to a place in myself where I go, why does this bother me so much? Because here I am today with her and she wants to be with me and she doesn't want to leave me and I don't see her comparing us to anyone else and she's enjoying the time we have together. Why do I keep going to that past? Why does it bother me so much? Nowadays, I've gotten over it. I don't really care about the past because today is all we have. The present moment now is what I get to experience with her. And I think what happens is that we look at our own past and, and we compare our own past with what we're experiencing now. Yes, there are times when I had an exotic, erotic <laughs> history with some women of my life. And yes, it was, it was amazing then. So do I dwell on that and go, it'll never be like that again? No, I work every day to find out how I can make it even better. I focus on what I need to do that's better, that's good, that's great today and for tomorrow. How can I make it better? And quite frankly, yesterday doesn't exist. And when I think about, oh, the first girlfriend I ever had and how some crazy zany times we had and everything was so great, it doesn't exist. It's gone. So there's really no comparison to something that doesn't exist. The only time you compare is when it's happening now. And when it's happening now, it's like getting a car and you go, oh, I love this car. And then you get another car and you go, geez, when I drive this car, the other car seems like uh, it has less power. Now you have something really to compare it to. But to compare current events and current situations with something that happened in the past, well, first of all, you're comparing based on an older version of you, based on a less uh, wise version of you, maybe. <laughs> and different things were going on in your life. You had maybe a different job or a different perspective of life. You probably had different values. Uh, you probably got a tattoo that you may regret. <laughs> I don't know. But you were a different person. You were a different person yesterday even. Even though you might have all the same things going on for you today, yesterday is not here. So why bother comparing anything to the past and just ask yourself if it's okay today? Are things good today? Because if they're not, then you change what's not good today. But if you're stuck in the past, why? Why are you living in the past? What's back there? <laughs> That's like saying, I want to be a gorgeous supermodel. And you don't necessarily have all the features of a supermodel. But I want to be one. And it's quite possible that you may never be one. And if that's the case, will you dwell on it? I mean, there's a point where you have to accept what is going to actually happen in your life. Now, sometimes we go to extremes of things like, um, I want to be a millionaire. But we learn nothing about uh, how to manage money. Or we choose not to save money. Or we just don't know enough about money to be a millionaire. So we won't be. Yep, we want to be one. So the idea is to learn more about money and how to build money and how to make money and things like that. You invest more time into learning how to make more money. But if you said, I want, a, I want a super relationship with a super guy or super girl or whatever, then you invest more time on what it takes to be in a super relationship. In my opinion, if you want a super relationship, improve yourself. Get to the point where you are so emotionally strong and fit, not just physically, but in emotionally fit, psychologically fit, so that when you get into a relationship, you don't attract a dysfunctional relationship. You want to become more and more functional, more and more healthy in every way you can so that when you're ready to attract someone, you're going to attract someone healthy. That's how you invest in things that you want. So if your partner had this most amazing sex life <laughs> and now 
they're with you and you're thinking, oh my God, I'll never be able to compete with that. Well, what does it take to have amazing sex? I mean, that's what you invest you into. You don't think about the past. You know what thinking about the past does? It keeps you in the past and it forces you not to learn anything new. It just keeps you stuck there. So instead of thinking about the past, just cut that off at the past (laughs) and start learning about you and the future and what you can do to create something amazing for you today and tomorrow or in your relationship or wherever you need um, improvement in your life or wherever you think you're lacking in your life. You invest in it. You don't think about what it was. You think about what you're going to do about it. When I met my girlfriend, we, we had very open communication. <laughs> and uh, we would talk about some of the good SEX that we had. And a thought did come to my mind of, oh my God, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to beat that. <laughs> how am I going to get any better than that? And then she told me about how that relationship failed and what a jerk that guy was and uh, so on and so on. I'm like, okay, well, at least I won't be that. I'm going to be the best damn guy she's ever met. And on top of that, I'm going to work on being the best damn, you know what, <laughs> she's ever had too. And so that's a work in progress. And that's too much information. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you get the idea. The idea is to is to ask yourself, how can I improve so that my partner gets the complete package here? How can I improve myself so that they get the best of what I can give? Because you're going to get to a point where I'm giving the best of what I can give. If it's still not enough, then maybe that's not the right person for you. It doesn't mean they think any less of you. It just means that maybe you're not compatible. I mean, when I was married, I thought I was great. But it turns out that I wasn't. (laughs) Not in that relationship. It's completely opposite in the relationship I'm in now. And I don't know what's changed but I can tell you this we're very compatible and when you find someone that you just truly resonate with and everything clicks then everything is really good better than ever so the idea is to just keep working on yourself improving yourself and when you click it works very well and when you don't you can ask what else do we have to work on here and it's always working on yourself it's always what what else can I do that maybe isn't good enough. I mean, not that we're changing for someone else. I don't recommend changing for someone else. But if someone else gives you the incentive to change and it's a good time to change for you, then go for it and see what happens. Now, on the flip side of this, yes, we talked about someone's amazing past. They had such great relationships and I'll never have that relationship again. First of all, that's great. I'm glad that they will never have that relationship again Because now they have this relationship with me. So I'm not going to dwell on that relationship. That one's over. I'm going to make this one damn good. (laughs) I'm going to make this one very pleasing and desirable and passionate. And I'm just going to get all into it. I'm invested. That's where I go. I'm invested. So even if um, there's an amazing experience that they had that I can never beat, well, I'm going to give my partner a different experience. And soon those amazing experiences with other people will start to be maybe overwritten with the, some of the stuff that we've gone through. <laughs> Not that it's my goal. I don't want to take her past away or memories away. But the idea is just to be the best you in the moment today. Dwelling on the past keeps you in the past and keeps you from growing inside, keeps you from being the best that you can be. If you, if you want to stick in the past, you're you're going to get left in the past. This will happen. I'll never be as good as that person. I mean, if you have these thoughts, then you're right. You won't. Because you'll be stuck thinking about them instead of your current partner. And that's where your focus should be. I guarantee you, if your focus is on your partner and supporting their happiness, you're going to have the best damn relationship they could ever ask for. So that's my advice for anyone stuck in the past and what happened to their partner in the past or what what they went through. It doesn't matter. All you have is today. And who are you going to be for them 
is one thing, but that's not even important because who you are for yourself, showing up as the best you possible, what more can you ask for? That's a great, supportive, loving relationship, showing up as the best you, supporting the best them. You want to talk about passionate? It only gets better from there. Thanks for listening today. I appreciate you. We'll be right back with some thank yous and then I'll close the show. Be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Go to harrys.com and get your free shave kit today. Make sure to use the promo code OVERWHELMED during checkout, and you'll get their post-shave balm too. Also, if you're not in the TOB patron program, yeah, you certainly can join that, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com, or you can just use the Amazon button on the website. That gives back to the show. And of course, thank you for buying a book or a worksheet or anything else that uh, you do to support what we do over here at The Overwhelmed Brain. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you very much. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And uh, I just want to close the show with something that um, really quick about what we talked about last week, which was when I had my girlfriend Asha on the show. And she gave up the goods. <laughs> I mean, she uh, let it all out. The sexual abuse in her childhood uh, came out and she was raw. She was honest. And uh, she already has people reaching out to her asking how they can help. And, you know, some people are survivors. Some people know survivors. And it's been overwhelming for her in a good way. I mean, she's so touched and grateful and she's uh, really getting this message out there. I mean, one of her goals with this entire Fiona project and, and her website's thefionaproject.org. It was to take out the taboo and just be completely expressive and honest about what happened to her. And that means expressing some hard truths that may make people uncomfortable. And it certainly made her uncomfortable when she started talking about it. But by doing so, people are already starting to share their story with her. And she's incredibly touched. And she's already making an impact in the world because other people are coming out and saying, you know what, I'm not going to be silent about this anymore. And that's my goal with this show is to not be silent, to express the real you, to be the authentic you that you want to be. And I realize sometimes you think the authentic me is damaged. The authentic me is broken or has been abused. So what else is left? Well, what's underneath is left. Because, yes, it can feel like you're broken or damaged. I felt that way for at least 38 years. I felt damaged in some way. And so I put a smile on in the world and pretended that I wasn't damaged. And that just led to the destruction of every relationship that I've ever had. And it didn't help me heal. You know when I started healing? When I started expressing, and I, I hate to say this, sometimes I felt embarrassed or ashamed about what I was expressing. And it was hard. And I didn't want to do it. But I found that expressing this stuff, even in the fear of judgment, was a true path to healing. That's what I want for you. I want you to find your path to healing. Because once you find it, it's hard to stop. It's like a snowball that gets bigger and bigger as it rolls down the hill. It just gets better and better. Life gets better. You don't have to hold on to shame or guilt, especially if you don't really own that. Some people in your life own that. But, you know, if you do have your own shame and guilt, talk about that too. I felt guilty. I felt guilty about stuff I did to my little brother when I was younger. You know, making him eat cat food. <laughs> and, you know, other things that I did in my life, with, in, in my family and to my friends. I felt some shame. I felt guilty and I started talking about it and realized that holding it in was causing more problems than expressing it. 
and holding it in was making my life miserable and expressing it, even though not everyone will like what I have to say, released me. It freed me. It made me feel better. And then I found out who my real friends are and who they weren't. And I tell you what, 99% of them stuck around. The other 1%, um, I, I let go. So really, I guess no one. <laughs> well, except for my romantic relationships, they left. So, but I'm just talking about regular friendships. But yeah, romantic relationships, that can affect me. But that was when I was holding everything in. When I was holding everything in, not expressing, that's when I lost relationships. Now that I'm fully expressive, I can't imagine losing this relationship. It just doesn't make any sense because I'm honest about everything. Or I think I am. <laughs> well, her birthday's coming up. I can't be honest about that. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I just want to thank you for stopping by. And I hope that you can become expressive and honest and truthful and be as authentic as you possibly can be so that you can create a better life for yourself. You don't have to hold on to negativity. You don't have to hold on to this stuff. It can be freeing to let it go. And one of the ways you can let it go is to just open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.